This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going to the basic roots of all gaming and finding out whether or not it should be chopped down like a rotten tree or grafted into all the other new trees that are growing up. I'm not a botanist. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Or no, better yet, I'm not, I'm not a ranger or a druid. There we go. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Welcome, everyone, to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, we are talking about classes, you know, the concept of classes that is so in um, core. I was going to use the word endemic, but that implies a disease. Uh, core to the AD&D product or the D&D product or whatever version or the OD&D product, whichever version or the D20 product, whichever version you have are, are the fan of, and Trav's a fan of Pathfinder, uh, compared to the other um, systems who operate more on what, we, what I call an archetype methodology. So we're going to talk about what makes one versus the other, and, and, and is the, uh, the class system, does it, you know, is it really just a holdover you know, it's, it's too hard for um, you know for TSR to change what it is. Uh, Wizards of the Coast change change it without, without losing the, its whole identity as a product, or does it actually provide some kind of benefit that other systems don't provide? And yeah, a lot of I mean, nowadays in in fifth edition, it's money, time, and if really difficult, occasional skill checks. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, Pathfinder as well. Well, the, in order to keep the players from becoming obnoxious, you're essentially taking uh, saying if you want to be able to do this, you have to you have to stop playing for a while. If they want to make a thousand po, I mean, they have the the formula for making potions and Pathfinder to where okay, if it's below this cost, it'll only take you a couple hours. If you if it's above this cost, it'll take a full eight hours. When they say it takes a day to make something at Pathfinder, that's eight hours because you need eight hours of sleep and eight hours of rest. So there is that one eight-hour block where you were doing nothing but making that potion. And it, I think it's if it's 250 gold pieces or higher in cost, because I have someone in my Sunday game, they're making... Amber, she's making potions all the time with her characters. So I said, okay, you guys are resting for a couple of days. Fine, I want to make potions. How many? Well, they cost this much. You're making three of them, one each day. It takes the full eight hours for you to sit there and add reagents and cast the spell and percolate with the alchemy kit and all this, and there you go. You have three potions. But in that time, she knows, okay, I can only do this because the cost of the, the base cost, not the market cost is above this level. Is there anything comparable in any of the other classes? Well, I mean, the magic item creation, if you want to make a sword, armor, potion, it just depends for the the 3.0, you know, the OGL, you just need the feet, the money to get the stuff to make it, and then time, and then make a skill check, like Jonathan mentioned earlier with 5e, I guess. Yeah, I mean that that's 
I mean, after a while, yeah, my characters get higher and higher. And I mean, okay, you've got this downtime. A lot of them go. And I mean, some of them like Pixie, she's got the list. She'll have a list of stuff she wants to make. And I mean, it, it's like, well, it's a good thing your character's an elf because it's going to take you a couple centuries to make all this. She's look, <laughs> you know, gives me a look like real funny, Trav. Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> you've met her. You, Bruce, you've met her. You know how she is. But yeah, well, it, it's just true. Yes, in, in Fringeworthy, they they come to they come to me as the GM and says, "Isn't there a world where time travels faster than it does here, so we could go there and spend a week our time, but it's actually like two years their time, and and I and I can get all this stuff made." Yeah, I get that. <laughs> well, I well because they hear time advance and time retarded, <laughs> and that's what they think. No, what it is in Fringeworthy is. No, it's just a later year. It's it's maybe 2015 on Earth Prime. On this world, it's 2070. That doesn't mean you can sit there and spend a month there and come back and only a day has passed. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) I'm surprised I haven't had that asked of me. All right. Um, So anyways, uh, so you're saying that you think there are good rules for crafting that uh, is in all systems? I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying there can't be a system out there that's bad. I'm just saying, though, is it is there's there's you're saying there's no reason why they can't have good crafting in all different kinds of systems. Well, you said craft. I was talking artificing. Now, if you're just making the craft skill, well, I consider anything that you make as a craft. Okay, well, because the crafting and in, in, in OGL, the crafting and the the rules for it. Now, D20 Modern, they upped it because you have modern things like workshops and lathes and modern tools. No, in all the fantasy, OGL, 3035, Pathfinder, you are, what is it? You have to multiply. Basically, it's the silver piece cost. Uh-huh. And you have a DC. I'm trying to remember this here. I don't want to have to go reach for my book. You have, you're crafting DC and then you make your roll. So let's say it's a DC 25 and you roll a 34. Fine. You multiply those two together. That's how much you have gotten toward, let's say if it's a thousand gold piece item you're making. Well, that's 10,000 silver. Well, 25 times 34, that's what you do after a week. So to craft normal things, yeah, I want to make a wagon. It's going to take you a month, which... That probably is right, but still, it, it, it. I don't see a lot of my players taking craft skills. They'll just buy whatever it is they need. Now, magic items, yeah, they'll make them on their own because you tend to make them a little quicker. Well, it also depends on whether you're allowing them to uh, invent things. Well, I mean, it just inventing. Uh, see, yeah, it's. And of course, third party stuff has different things for different crafting, depending on, you know, what genre it is and everything. Like I said, D20 Modern, you could build something. I think the biggest time for the craft skill mechanical was 60 hours. And if you're working and they and and D20 Modern, they let you do, okay, you might be able to push it to 10 to 12 hours a day you're working, Uh but you're fatigued when you're done, which means you take minuses to your skill check when you're roll making that final roll. Yeah. So you also can't do it on an, for, on an ongoing basis. 
that's great when you have to make a short push, but it doesn't work when you're trying to do things that take. Yeah, you can't do that for a month. Well, let's see. 60 hours, eight hours a crack. That's a little over a week. Eight times seven, 56. Uh, uh, yeah, about seven and a half, eight days. Yeah, if you push yourself crafting, working 10 to 12 hours for eight days straight, you're going, yeah, you are not fatigued. You are exhausted. You're going to be taking skill penalties. And you you may have wasted all that money in parts on making what it is. But no, for the, the, the OGL fantasy stuff, it takes you, because you're you're under the assumption that you're making, you're using, you know, medieval or maybe renaissance level technology to make this barrel or this wagon or this, you know, trap or a lock or, you know, alchemy. You're not having modern technological assistance with this. So it's going to take probably five times longer. So that's why they did the, oh, DC times result and accumulate every week you're making it. And then when you hit your total in silver pieces, oh, good, you've made it. Oh, you want to make it masterwork? Uh, you have to add another figure to it. Which, if it takes you four weeks, masterwork might take you another two as you put the detail into it. So, yeah, I mean, I never was fond of the OGL crafting rules, but they're there. And if my characters have a chance to have access to modern technology to craft, oh, I get the D20 modern book out. Okay, yeah, this is... <laughs> and I've got people who, you know, they'll gain modern crafting skills. So, and 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 then I, I throw them with, yes, but where are you at now? And they just look and they realize they're still in the fantasy world. Crap. <laughs> and I just sit back smugly and they give me a dirty look. But yeah, crafting, I don't, it, huh. crafting is like superhero games. You're never going to get the right mix of everything. It may work good for a certain thing, but as a blanket rule, you're not going to find perfect crafting rules. Heck, you're not going to find perfect rules for a lot of things in D&D. It's what works with, let's say, if it's a genre game, like superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hero Rules is the closest thing to the perfect crafting rules I've ever seen. <laughs> Which ones? Hero Rules. The he you mean the hero system? Yes. Yeah, champions, yeah. Yeah, if you want to build something, it's like, okay, <laughs> these are all the things that go into it, and now you figure out the PowerPoints and all that stuff like that. And yeah, uh-huh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I'm just saying, is it so, you know, bigger, smaller makes a big difference in how long things take and whatever. Charges and yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my question, you know, about that. The only other thing I have here is I did want to mention one thing about feats because I've always had a problem with feats in that it seems like feats are. It, 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 it's they're a little bit schizophrenic because in it's not so much now because uh, in like say in five e you don't uh, you, you know the only time your skills go up is when your uh, your proficiency bonus goes up it applies to all the skills that you are quote proficient with 
or if your stat goes up on your character, all the skills that are have bonus for that go up. Otherwise, it's just buying some better equipment that gives you uh, situational bonuses. But in a lot of the other systems and uh, earlier versions like uh, 2.0, I'm sorry, 3.0, a lot of these feats were basically uh, buffs to various skills or various attributes. Well, yeah, like like alertness. Oh, you get a plus two to listen and spot or... um deceitful oh bluff in disguise get a plus two pathfinder they they've made sure that those buff feats are always to two skills but here's the kicker and i like this with pathfinder let's say you have alertness which is a plus two to both perception and sense motive if either of those two skills you have 10 or more ranks the bonus for both skills goes up to plus four this is something they came up with Pathfinder, and I really like it because, well, yeah, if you're already good at something and you get really good, yeah, it's like not a monumental leap, but it's that little extra push for like if you got 10 ranks in perception. If you if you see and hear and all that, but you're not good at reading people, you get that 10th rank in perception and you have the alertness feat you're going to get a little more perceptive about people with that sense motive. It's going to give, they tie in their, what's the term? They had it 3035. Skill synergy. That's what I was looking for. And I remember that was a big thing in 3035. It's also also in um, modern, D20 modern. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 they did. I remember, I think I have the PDF somewhere of modern skill, uh, superior skill synergy. I think Misfit Games made it. Yeah, if you took the um, uh, the class, it was essentially the clerical class. It was the um, uh, I can't think of it, you know. But basically, it was the one based on wisdom. One of the things that you got with it was you could say that um, these skills help each other, and you could and and you could give the bonus you the levels you had in one skill as a bonus to the other skill. The dedicated hero, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, for D twenty modern, yeah. And I'm saying is that to me, you know, uh, it seems that most of these cases you could just simply have a single feat that says plus two to two skills or uh, or plus two to a single attribute. And but you can't and you can take the feat multiple times, but you can't take it uh, more than once for the same skill. Kind of like weapon focus, where yeah, you can have ten weapon focus feats, but they're all for different weapons. You get where you get that plus one to attack, yeah. Right, and and my point is, is that all you're really doing is reskinning it for all these different instances, and and really, you know, if you look at all the different feats that are out there, sooner or later, every single skill, every single attribute has a buff. So why not just consolidate it down into a single feat that you say blah, okay? Now, I know that sometimes by having all these different feats, you get to stack up bonuses. Uh, remember in 3035 OGL, if they are the same named bonus, you have to take the higher. So if you have a plus three competence bonus and a plus five competence bonus, you only get the plus five. Right. Okay. That's that. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about how any bonus to something, you know, a lot of times, you know, they uh, they could stack, but if you did what I'm suggesting, you wouldn't be able to stack them anymore because they would, 
they would just be the same bonus. Uh, now, maybe people don't want that. Maybe they want to be able to stack multiple, in which case you could then simply say, and it's it's going to, and you basically declare it as being one of these four different types of bonuses, and that way they can still stack. Uh, because in um, Savage Worlds, uh, I recently made a character, and I took, you know, the, uh, their feats are called edges, uh, and 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 basically by taking all these different edges, I was able to stack uh, bonuses to the parry, which is a defense skill, to the point where you'd have to be some you'd have to be some kind of amazing character to you know to ever be able to touch this character, because he literally he just stand he'd be like uh, uh, Nero standing there blocking the uh, uh, the agent's blows with his well not even looking just bang 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 <laughs> you know doing the hand block you know. Because you're just so good, and that's because you can basically stack these bonuses. Uh, now, if you want that, that's fine, okay? But what I'm saying is that I would much rather a feat be something that be, that lets you do something that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do, and just have one feat that basically handles all the buffing. Well, yeah, they and I, I will example of a feat that gives an ability and not a buff. I have in my hands here Ultimate Intrigue, basically the Pathfinder book that introduces the Vigilante class and talks about, you know, like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Um, that type of Vigilante, where you have two distinct identities, social and Vigilante. Well, they have, we'll, we'll say here, let's see, an example of a non-buff feat. Ah, yeah, brilliant planner. All you need is intelligence 13 and be fifth level. Use gold to fund unprescribed plans. Basically, you set aside gold and you can use that gold later. Take 10 minutes to enact a brilliant plan, withdrawing an item that would have been available in a settlement you visit or procuring a mundane service. Basically, it's, oh, ahead of time. Yeah, I've got 100 gold pieces. So what I'm going to do is Oh, look, I just happen to have this thing here, which we can use. It, it's like uh, the Princess Bride. What we need is a wheelbarrow and an apocalypse cloak. <laughs> I have one of those here. I just pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that type of brilliant planner from Alternate Intrigue is your idea of it's an ability you would not have otherwise. That would that that's the best example of that. And and if it has a progression, then it's just a rebranded new skill. Yeah, brilliant yeah, planning. Think, yeah, it's a yeah, it's an int based skill. No, uh, yeah, fifth edition D and D has but, some similar to that. Like, I think there's a couple of feats that you can take that give you a like a cantrip from either the cleric or the wizard schools. So basically, it's useful oh, for okay. the non magic classes like fighters and thieves, so they can get a, a taste of the magic casters, or if you're already a magic caster, it gives you a little bit more uh, versatility. Yeah, it gives you a, uh, a cantrip from a list that you would not otherwise be able to cast from, yeah. Or an extra casting from when so you like, could. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, a wizard can all of a sudden bless holy water. All of those classes, I mean, you know, in uh, Savage Worlds, you know, you have a... You, you take a feat, and now you now you're an arcane caster. Take another feat, now you're a uh, psionicist. Take another feat, now you're a mad scientist. Uh, 
Yeah, arcane backgrounds. Okay, that's a feat. It allows you to do something you otherwise would not be able to do. Um, some, you know, and, and of course, it, it can be very specific, like, for example, uh, psionic ability. You know, teleport, I can, you know, or telekinesis, or any of those things, if you want to make it that granular. You know, uh, those would be feats, because it lets you do something that you wouldn't have been able to do. Now, if, if there has to be some kind of a proficiency check that goes along with it, then you're going to have to integrate it with the rest of the system. Um, it, it, it kind of becomes more like a skill when you do that. Or what happens is, is that you take the feat and it gives you the skill you didn't have before, which is kind of like what you're talking about where, you know, like you take a feat and you now have the uh, pickpocket skill. Or you have the, uh, um, I don't know, uh, jet pilot skill, piloting. You know, uh, you know these were uh, there were a lot. You know, in three um, O, there were a lot of feats that basically were like specific uh, things that you could do that you could then apply another skill to that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do because uh, surgery, probably one of the most classic ones. You can you can you can basically stitch up people's wounds all day long, but brain surgery is something that you have to have a feat for. Or you have to have some one of the, or you have to have one of those skill tree kind of things where you take first aid, then you take you know sur you know um, uh, I don't know uh, surgery and then brain surgery you know, <laughs> and you can't and you can't get it to get a proficiency level in each of them. Well, you mentioned about feats um, abilities that you would not have otherwise. Okay, uh, you remember Bruce and D20 Modern, the psionic classes that they tried to do? They've been trying to do, they've been trying to do that since first edition. Well, I mean, in D20 Modern, they had a psionic class. They had, the, I think, the Battle Agent and the Telepath. Okay, um, Scorch Earth Studios, with their Psywatch campaign, they got rid of that. They have two types of feats, psionic precursor, and then just straight up psionic feats. Now, this you can take a psionic. You can take either one. You, the, some of them are some of the precursors are prereqs for the bigger psionic feats. Some of the psionic feats, like the really powerful ones, like yeah, I want to be able to make a wormhole and go up to six thousand miles away. And you might have to have like Iron Will, the remote viewing feat, and you know a certain other skill or you could have what was the one psionic um precursor akashatic record where you tap into the akashic record and each time you use it you can either gain a weapon proficiency knowledge idiomatic knowledge of a language pluses to defense offense damage and it lasts for a certain amount of time and then you can like use it for once a day, but each time you call upon the Akashic record, you you do it to give yourself a little boost because you're tapping into like the 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 universal consciousness. And it's a precursor feat. And of course, once you take it, you are listed now as a psionic subtype. So it gives you that boost as well, which means yeah, you have the access where you can use and it doesn't use PowerPoints like um like the expanded Psy handbook. But, of course, if you're a psionic, then you're going to ping to other psionics if they have the proper ability. So it was a trade-off there. 
but yeah, that that type of feat that gives you an otherwise undoable ability, yeah, that those type of feats from Psywatch fit that wonderfully. And they did it because they wanted to get rid of, well, Cyan is just a reskinned wizard, you know. They wanted to get it more like the comic book type um, martial arts because Psywatch was based on the old image comics of the 90s. So that they wanted to get that feel for it. And it works. I use that now for my side. I don't even use like the the, the Psy handbook stuff anymore because it, to me it's just a reskinned wizard. So yeah, your your feats as abilities, yeah, I, I like that better. The buffs are nice. The buff feats are nice, but just they've gotten to be too many of them. And it just yeah, I I, I think I like your idea on just switching it to how you have it listed here. As I said, I, I have access to a lot of feats and just yeah. <laughs> uh you guys got anything more on this topic? As we've been discussing this, it, it comes to my mind that I think a lot of, at least what we're seeing out of fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, it seems like a lot of it is the feats are there to fill the gaps of accessing that archetype you want to play. Uh, it's very role play centric. The class is there for the game mechanics, for game balance, and now you can throw in these feats to fill the gaps of your, your role playing ideal. So do you think they work just as well in the class system as in an archetype system? For what they're designed, I think, yeah. Because I think at the end of the day, I think they're not really there to be anything more than allow you to flavor your character narratively. I don't think as far as mechanic, I think that's why, like, as you mentioned earlier, where you have a ton of feats that all do the same thing, really. They all just add a boost to a skill or a... uh, in a tribute, but they all have different names. And I, I think a lot of that is just the role-playing flavor of it. All right. Well then let's, let's go ahead and move on to uh, the topic that we did for our 500 episodes that we never got to finish, which was dangerous moments in gaming. One of the dangerous uh, moments in gaming is when uh, your opponent uh, realizes that, you are completely replaceable and that there will always be somebody else to come along that will have either your skills or provide your function. And he doesn't really have to keep you alive. There's another way to get that information. There's another way of uh, defeating the King or, uh, you know, that he doesn't actually have to marry the princess in order to become Royal. He could just kill the entire Royal family and take over the kingdom. That moment in games where you suddenly realize that you don't have to follow the rules that you've been following all of this line. There's an entirely different way that you could go as long as you can get everybody to buy into it. I did that in somebody's campaign when we were all facing the big bad and he was really powerful and I was pretty sure that we, was, we were looking at a total party kill. And I said... Well, God, you know, this is really, you know, we have fought our way all the way over here. So we have proven to you how effective and uh, competent we are. Are you sure you want to kill us? Would you rather use us? And the GM looks at me like, what, what did you just do? 
And I looked at the other <laughs> players and I'm like, you know, we're getting paid like 10,000 gold pieces to bring this bad guy down. I'm pretty sure that if we joined his side, we could, he could pay that, us that amount plus more. Because as far as I can tell, he's winning. And I got, I got an even worse look from the GM. <laughs> we ran that. We basically changed sides. We became the bad guys. We started doing the bad guys. It's, it's much like in Fallout 74 uh, uh, when you get the chance, you, you can turn into a, uh, a raider. You can become the king of the raiders. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all the time you've been playing the game, you're like, Raiders bad, kill Raiders, you know, working you know, with the Minutemen. One day we'll push all these Raiders out of our territory and we'll finally have peace. And you become the head of the Raiders. And, it's, and, and, he, and he's your companion at the time. He just says, I don't know what you're doing. This is wrong. You, you, know, you know, turn back to the light, Luke. <laughs> The dark side is not for you, and you're like going. And I'm hearing Natalie. I'm hearing Natalie Portman. You're going down a dark path that I can't follow. <laughs> <laughs> and the GM wasn't able to follow either. He we basically played like three more sessions, and he said, "Okay, I'm done with this campaign. We're going to start a new one." And I was not invited. Rocks fall, every rocks fall, everybody dies. Yeah. Yeah. No, he just basically terminated, and I was not invited to the new campaign. Wow. Well, wow. Yeah, you know. Uh. Yeah. It's like a new campaign hunting your old characters. That's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So uh that was so that was a dangerous moment because I essentially torpedoed all of the GM's plans. When the players suddenly realize they don't have to follow the 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 path that's been laid out by the GM and they actually can go do something entirely different. Uh, and if you can convince the other players to go along with you, uh, you can real you can radically change your gaming experience. And sometimes it can be really good. Sometimes the idea doesn't terminate the campaign, but alters it so fundamentally that it really you really are playing a new game. Like for example, all your D and D characters go through a time warp, and you find yourself now in the twenty first century. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a different game. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Still have big bads. <laughs> Still got you know raiders and uh, and thugs and monsters who who hide behind you know corporate facades and sometimes they are corporations themselves. So uh, yeah, so that's that's one of the ones you know. Um, Another one is is when you or the big bad realizes the only way to win is to go nuclear. Oh yeah, yeah. Most just... campaigns, the big bad, the big bad will get to that point anyway. I mean, that's usually the climax of of a good campaign in my book. Yeah, where you have to stop him. Yeah, you want that the the scene where they've gotten so powerful that they can't be stopped. You know. Like the only way to stop them is you go all out and you know what? There might be some collateral damage, but at the end of it, the world will still be free. Or the world will be dead because the big bad says, if I can't have all the marbles, nobody gets all any of the marbles. 
That's where it becomes a race. And now I'm re- and now I'm reminded of what Eric the Enabler used to say. Don't blow up the earth. Most of my stuff is there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, most. Yeah. 99%. I used to say that I used to say that to girls who were trying to knee me in the groin. I have use for that. Leave that alone. <laughs> Still looking equipment. Yeah. Yes. And 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 you know, re- requires a skilled operator. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> oh, I Okay, this 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 is listed as being child friendly. So you know, things like that, and yeah, things like that, I can see now why that GM was glaring at you with with yeah. uh, the past five <laughs> minutes just proved a lot. Yeah. yeah okay. All right. Um, uh, similar to that is when you're going along, you're doing a great job. You and your care- other party members have been, you know. Uh, doing all kinds of quests, rising in levels, gaining abilities, and suddenly the royals realize that you can topple their kingdom. Oh, yeah, I've had many a campaign that's gotten that way, and I've just had to find one big adventure and wrap it up and say, yeah, you guys retire. I'm starting a new campaign. Oh, no. Over the past six or seven years, I think I've had maybe three campaigns where just, and it, 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 I'm not pointing any fingers at any of my players carry where they've just gotten so powerful that I'm just like, yeah, you guys are near demigods. Go wander the multiverse. Have your character character ideas ready for the next campaign. <laughs> because I just realize it's like, yeah, I didn't realize that one rule meshed with the other. And yeah, she ran with it. Great. Wonderful. That's how my last Friday game ended. Yep. That's I'm a feeling a little personally attacked by that one. Well, it doesn't have to be synergy. Sometimes you just become so powerful because the way the game system is, where, you know, I mean, I find most character advancement in game systems to be ridiculous because, I mean, you know, from it, it, it takes less than a year of game time usually to go from zero to 20th level. You know, yet people take, you know, especially demi humans, take hundreds of years to get to that first level. <laughs> It's like, I always like, you know, what is it just everybody else besides us or a bunch of really, this world is full of slackers. That's what it is. This entire world, our, our only superpower is the fact that we've got the drive to push on to higher levels. Or you're just, you are the chosen few with that spark of yeah, yeah. potential. Yeah. Now, some people, some game systems actually work this into the advancement where it's an S curve. Where the higher, you know, when it's time to go up a level, you roll a die, and the difference between 20 and your level is your chance of going up a level. Hmm. Okay, that's different. And therefore, getting up to the 20 or higher is going to be really hard. Eventually, it's going to be having to roll a a 20 on a 20. And until you roll a 20 on a 20, you don't go up a level. I mean, that that sounds like it'd be great for a sandbox type game, but if I was doing a like a narrative-driven campaign where I had an end in mind, that would drive me insane as a player and as a oh, yeah. GM. Well, I would say you, in a narrative-driven game, you're basically more in control. The players aren't really in control. You are. You know, they're, 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 basically playing, they're, they're basically playing the drama with you. They have to buy into that. 
But if, if you if they're if they're deciding their own fates and, and their own, you know, where they want to go, then uh, this is basically to keep them from advancing to the top level. So you can take your your overlord or whatever, and you could plant like five or six guys, women included, up there on the top level, and they continue to lord over you because it's just so hard for you to get that high a level. So. That's what some that's what some systems do. Okay, uh, what I tried to promote in my re, uh, uh, up reversion of the Tritech system was to say, look, guys, ten is competent, tenth level, or tenth level of skill, or whatever you want to call it. So you can take higher than that if you want to, but it's not really is is not going to substantially increase your chances of success because you're going to succeed most of the time with that 10. And and say most people out there realize when they get to the point where they're good enough, they can do their job, and they don't have to study their lives away in order to get just a little bit better. And that's how most people operate. Player characters are always striving to be, you know, Olympic athletes or to become, you know, the, the, the winners of the International Brain Bowl or, you know, whatever. And, and there are certain skills where, you know, the, the higher level you have in it, the more bonuses you get. Like, again, Tritag Games, you got extra attacks the higher level you had in martial arts or in, in, in weapon skills. So they would like pop those puppies up to uh, 30 levels, even though 10 was more than enough to kill somebody <laughs> because that way they got to fire five, six times. You know, Now, if you went by the original rules where you didn't actually get five or six rolls, different rolls to hit, you only you got five or six tries on the same roll. So it's sort of like super advantage. You just roll like six dice, and you took the best roll of all six, and that was your a roll for that for having that really high level. Ah, so that's, <clears throat> not that more was, attacks, just more accurate with your attacks. Yes, I mean basically you you increase your chance of success, but it doesn't increase like overall the amount of uh, you know the the number of attacks you can do. You can't suddenly attack a dozen people where before you could only attack one. You're still only attacking one person. So, anyways, that was uh, uh, so. Uh, what I'm, I'm saying here is is that the uh, it, 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 a lot of systems. It really comes down to the system for this kind of thing to keep. I think to keep this from happening, and also the players themselves. I mean, if they give you, you should all. Uh, this comes down to game design and, and player de and character design. If your characters have a goal, once they achieve their goal, their character is done. <laughs> They're just kind of long for the ride at that point. Usually, yeah. yeah. So they need a lofty goal, a really lofty goal. My my D and D character in the in the game right now does not have a very long. He has two goals in his life. His goal is a to own his own ship because he's a sailor from background. And B, he wants to actually figure out which one of the royals is, is one of his mothers and, and, and actually have a relationship with her. As in, like, family relationship. Okay, yeah. Ah. 
you know, he wants to, he wants her to acknowledge him, you know, at least at least privately as as her son. Yeah, and because uh, he hasn't seen her in a really long time, so uh, that's all my character has is goals. <laughs> so theoretically, I could I could finish it up in the next session. <laughs> Uh, if I sold all the all the magical gear I have, I could probably buy a really nice boat. And if I could actually get some, uh, uh, somebody, to, if that that woman actually recognized me, recognized my father in my face, you know, and said, "Oh, you know, you tell me about your background." And I, and I say, "Tell." I tell my big my my character story, and she's like, "You're my son." Oh, you're my mom. Great, done. <laughs> so I have no lofty goals, so that's just the point where the the the, the DM needs to present you with one or two more goals uh, tied into that boat or to that mom. Right. I would say that I have a badly designed character as a result. I mean, because of that, because I didn't give him any lofty goals. Uh, you know, he. He, he could he could end up in a place where I, it's no fun to play him anymore because I'm just going through the motions. <clears throat> I don't know if you have to have lofty goals though. That's the thing. I mean, if you if you want them, you can certainly select them. But if you can't think of a lofty goal for a character, that character doesn't have lofty goals. And sure, if that character gets to a point where they've achieved all their earthly goals and they really can't think or find anything else they want to do, well, then they retire. You come up with a new character. That's fine, except that, well, it's, it depends on what happens when you replace a character. Do you replace it with a character at the same level? Do you go back to the beginning, you know, and have to work your way up? I mean, it's there's a lot of questions that come up. I'm just, it, it, for most for for most people, they uh, most GMs would prefer you to have a a very hard to achieve goal that's going to take you the length of the campaign to achieve, if ever. So, uh, yeah. Because I mean, you know, if all you want to do is get married, it, yeah, in Skyrim it's easy. <laughs> you literally walk up to a random woman on the street and say, "Hey, you want to get married?" And she's like, "What? You want to marry me?" <laughs> what, like one or two hours into the game, tops maybe? Not even that far, really. I mean, it's it's funny because it seems like once they find out that you're the chosen, everybody wants to get married to you. There's an anime, I forget what it's called, where he's like the grandson of like a, a hundred mages, and he has no magical ability of his own, but he has the his he has the potential of giving any children he makes with a mage like uber power. So every girl in the school wants to marry him. And so it, it's a harem. It's a harem anime. Of, yeah, I was about to say, of course. Of course, but I'm just saying that's the premise. Is that you know he's he has he himself has no goals but to survive the next day because of course they're all fighting each other to to get close to him and magic is involved so of course yeah a lot of magic is involved a lot of yeah hijinks ensues many hijinks yes a lot of sneaking in and and of course you know the the one thing that he, he he plays as in so many anime he plays the good guy okay he's. He, he's not trying to take advantage of his situation. He's not, you know, uh, he's, 
he's not you know he's not mean spirited or anything like that. He's he try he, he's and so as a result, every time he gets these opportunities that come up that he might be able to uh, you know get some advantage, exploit his his position, his situation, he's always like, oh no no, I can't do that like that. And all the other guys around him are going, dude. <laughs> Yeah, because if, if he did, then it would be a whole other genre called hentai. Yeah, uh, well, at least etche. Actually, it's already etche, so yeah, you're right, hentai. But he also, you know, I mean, you know, it, uh, it, it would be one of those anime where all the girls are saying, I hate you, you're the worst. <laughs> so, anyways, sometimes I, I wish that some of the characters uh, in, in anime were a little bit more... Uh, I don't want to say take advantage, but at least show that they understand that they have the option. You know, they're, they're not just so true blue that they never even consider it. You know, they're not even tempted. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. It's like I can understand a character being virtuous in, in media because that's an ideal, and they're supposed to be an idealized character. I get that. But let's throw in a little bit of realism and have them at least be tempted. Have that moment of like, do I do I really do I no 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 be be good be good I need to go take a cold shower right yeah <laughs> yeah and, and and there's a couple of them where they, they, that's exactly what they do uh, probably one of the best ones in recent times is uh, everyday life with um, uh, with monster girls where the guy is basically a host for aliens from another dimension that are all beautiful women who. Part of their most of their bodies are another animal, like the lamia or the centaur or the uh, the harpy, whatever you know. They're all, and so they're, and and he he you know he recognizes the fact that he is tempted by these people. Uh, the problem is, is that if he ever if he if he gives into it, he's. Uh, he'll be put in jail, <laughs> basically against the law. So even though these these girls are are around him constantly and constantly trying to get his attention uh, uh, for romantic purposes, uh, he's he's having to act like it, it, he's not interested. So that's that's kind of fun. And then of course they throw a wrench at it because the person who's in charge of the whole program says, "Oh, by the way, they decided that they want to see whether a marriage between one of these girls and a human would work out. So any of these girls you want to marry, go right ahead." <laughs> and and the girls is like feeding time. <laughs> He's like, "Oh no." Like sharks to chum. Yeah, and he, and he's like, "You know, I can give in now, but who do I choose?" Because if I choose one, the rest of them are going to kill me. That's usually how yeah. they end up when they do get go that path. Is like, okay, well, now I have permission to take advantage of the situation, but the others will kill me if I do. Right, right. But see, that's I find that more realistic, at least. You know, it's then then the uh, then the overly virtuous, yeah, or virtue virtue without reason, yeah. And speaking of that, when two player characters, not player, I'm sorry, two players decide to have a romantic relationship. Oh. See, for me, it usually, it started with two players that were dating already when the campaign started. And 
Yeah, it's because depending sometimes because at least in in one uh, group I was in, I was actually the, the player, one of the other players. But two of the other players was my roommate and his girlfriend. And yeah, he if was uh, like playing vampire dark ages, and he was playing one uh, I can't remember one of the assassin clans that hunt other vampires, and she was playing one of the like Egyptian vampires and she kept having ah. her character hit on the vampire assassin who definitely was not going to take up any of her offers and her, the player got upset about this. And I'm like, no, why are we letting, why are we letting this happen? I just want to play. My, my experience with, Players at my table who are involved with other players, I've had I've had partners of mine as players at my table, and usually I haven't had a problem. Now, me, all of my players, you know, everyone's equal to, on the other side of the street. I t- I'll I'll look at people dead in their eye and say, "I've killed off one of my daughter's characters." Don't don't think that. Just because, uh, Missy, you and I are together, that means I'm going to give you any special treatment. It's like, you are a player here. You are not. But no, I've had like... Um... Oh, Bruce, I think you met him at Continuum. Jerry Gentry ran the con suite. Him and his girlfriend, Carrie, have been at my table, and they didn't play characters that were together. They two separate things. This one did, this one there. And it worked out. I've just never had a problem when the players are romantically involved and they leak it over to the table. Well, I'm thinking more along the lines of where two players start getting involved with each other and then they break up and then they don't want, and then they don't want to have anything to do with each other as players. And, and they, and both of them leave your game. Okay, what I've had to deal with is whatever partner I've had with in the game, we break up, and then I got to deal. Okay, how do I phase this character up? That's my biggest issue because they just don't come back. The, the, the now former girlfriend just doesn't come back. That's probably the biggest problem I've had. Just yeah, you now have a big hole in in your game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you only have three players, that could be a real problem. But uh, yeah, I've I've had all the really big issues having to do with the fact that I'm the GM, and then my girlfriend or or wife is playing in the game, and everyone's like, "Well, he's just gonna, you know, give her everything because you know," <laughs> and I'm like, "No, no, that's not gonna happen," and I'm actually tougher on her than I would be a right a regular character. I mean, I can look right now. My girlfriend is in the chat for this pod bean. I mean, she jokes around, oh, yeah, you treat me so horribly. First of all, I go, well, there's the door, you know, if you don't want to play. But no, it's like she knows. I, everybody is equal on the other side of that screen. And I even told Fur, no, I've killed off one of my daughter's characters. So don't think for a second, you know, you're just as, you know, your character is just as able to be, got the red dot as anybody else at my gaming table. So, yeah, I I I've I learned a long time ago if I have a partner of mine in one, in a gaming group, they they know right off the bat they are same as everybody else. 
Yeah, but you you've had you you've been down this road before. You know in the past situations where that's actually caused the entire game to implode. Oh no, no. Game has imploded. I've learned okay, that that partner's gone. Okay, that character's doing something else. Yeah, I've never had a campaign. Yeah, the the topic is most dangerous moments. I'm not saying it's guaranteed it's gonna destroy your campaign, but it's like, okay, this is something you can't ignore when it happens. You've got to deal with well, it. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever had a couple break up in my campaign in in the middle of the game and it's I have yeah, I've never had that. No. Huh. Yeah, I've been lucky. I've never had that couple break up during the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had a lot of, you know, especially with when I was GMing, there were a couple times when I had uh, uh, players in my game that I had a crush on, and it was kind of a not very well kept secret amongst the group. Um, ah, yeah. And, but usually, you know, they could see that I was maintaining fairness and I wasn't giving them too many advantages. Although I, looking back, I probably gave them one or two, not gameplay advantages, but narrative advantages. Of course, then one of them ended up becoming my wife. So maybe it worked. Hey, there you go. All right. All right. So you've never had the situation where you got the, ma- uh, the male character, I mean, the male player, who's pretty good at dating. I know it's atypical for our for our, our avocation, but and so you know every on a regular basis he brings his girlfriend to the game. It's a different girl, and she plays like three sessions, and then she never comes back because she just broke up with him or he just broke up with her. And then the next month, another he brings another one in. She wants to play a character, the guest PC of the week. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> uh, and, and of course, it doesn't want to play. Oh, no, I do not want to play a character that was created for your ex. Oh, no. Yeah. You've got to create a whole new character special for me. And the game, you know, and the game doesn't have to revolve around me, but you've got to make a place for me in the game. And then three, three sessions later, I ah, really, this is my thing. <laughs> Off she goes. This this game is a metaphor for our relationship and how much effort you put into that character. We'll wow! Show, we'll show how much effort you're putting into our relationship. You know, I have never been bold enough to say that. <laughs> oh, they'll never say it out loud. But oh, okay, okay. I, I oh no, maybe. that's a death sentence, there, son. Just yeah. I, I mean, I told my my wife that I said that I am a gamer and I am going to game. And if you can't deal with that fact that I'm going to be spending at least two days out of the week either preparing for a game or running a game or playing in a game, don't marry me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, Bruce, yeah, we know this as, as, as game designers. It can wear on relationships and marriages where if you, especially if, you know, because friends were the D20 Bureau 13 D20, it it is a lot of work and you are spending a lot of hours at that computer. And yeah, those are big projects. Yes, that's what it is. And that partner has to be really patient where I still came out of, you know, my then study and come out and see, you know, the now second ex-wife and she's there on wow or EverQuest, And I'll, you know, talk, okay, what's going on? What are you doing here? You know, 
say hi to the guild for me and all that. But yeah, I am very thankful. And again, last I checked, she's listening, that I run four separate campaigns, a Thursday and Saturday campaign biweekly, and then a Friday, Sunday campaign biweekly, alternating weeks. I am very thankful that the woman in my life, one, she knows I'm autistic. She has an autistic son. She gets the scheduling and and two, well, two, she's a Saturday game, so that helps. But three, she gets that, oh, you have game prep tonight. Okay, well, I'll leave you to it. Oh, you got the Friday game. Okay, I'll talk to you at, you know, at 10 o'clock. She is exceedingly patient. We're talking damn near sainthood with my prevailing hobby. Sounds like it. I mean, she'll give me crap. Yeah, she'll give me crap on the Sunday and the Saturday game. Like, oh, I see, because I came in at a higher level, I've leveled all the others are. I see how it is. You're treating me unfairly, and I'm just giving her a look like, really? <laughs> but no, I, I can say in in in, in, in that regard, I, I hit the jackpot with this one because she gets that planning campaigns takes a lot of time. I'm running four. And she'll just look at, she's, she's seen me. You know, she's been here and she's seen me flipping through my books and just going, magic at work, damn. Just, you know, I'm like, what? To me, this is like breathing, what? And she's trying to explain to me just how amazed I am that I'm just collating all these facts from the books and the notes and the PDFs and the websites and all this. And I'm like, for me, this is like walking. I've been doing it so long, it's muscle memory. (laughs) But yeah, she's been... As I said, she gets that when, okay, the, the time for game starts, I turn off the boyfriend setting and turn on the game master setting. You know, so, yeah, I I I can't do the preferential treatment. It just, it, I think I may have tried it once and I got called on it very early. Either just I didn't know how to hide it very well or it was that blatant. But yeah, I just learned it, it's not worth it. If you're going to have a partner in the game, they're a player. From 6 to 10 p.m. on that day, they are a player. Jonathan. Yeah. Graduation. Have you ever been in that situation where you're looking at graduation coming up and you're like, I've got to finish this campaign up before graduation or I'm going to lose half my players. We'll never be able to get back together again because everybody talks about playing over Skype or on online, but it never happens. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying that isn't true. I mean, that's, that that could be... Some people love gaming tables online, but I'm just saying, is it... You've been in that situation? I... Luckily, no. During my college years, I the crew I had that I was playing with were all the same uh, class level as me, or a little like one year behind me. Um, and so, yeah, luckily, uh, there was a situation where I did wrap up a campaign, not because of graduation, but simply because one of the players just you know, had other priorities and, and stopped coming to games. It couldn't find the time to, to get to the games. Um, so we just wrapped that campaign up pretty quickly. Never actually had a problem myself with graduation on the horizon. Uh, usually we were able to wrap up things pretty quickly just on, just from the story beats. So you've never had that problem where you basically 
found yourself trying to finish up a game with desperate sessions as people uh, over the, the the end after the post-graduation saying, no, before you go back to wherever. It's, it's really, uh, when you're in a school that's like a college and people live all over the country, I mean, it's really, if, you, if they're not coming back, it's, uh, it, it, it can be desperate times. And we didn't used to have Skype, by the way. I mean, we're lucky now. Used to be that they were literally gone. Yeah, you're like you, you'll talk to them on the phone, but you're not getting together to game. Have you ever done a phone session with somebody? Never a full session. Usually, I've done a few like mini sessions where I'd be on the phone with somebody, and they'd say, "Hey, uh, my character wants to do this on, during the off time between these sessions." And I was like, "Okay," and might role play a, a, an encounter or two, just like social encounters, but nothing that actually required like combat or complex negotiation or skill rolls. Oh, come on. Those are, those are the best because you can fudge them because you're rolling in on the other end. They can't see you roll. <laughs> <That> was, <yeah. laughs> well, see, that was the thing. Like, I, I didn't trust my players that much, and they didn't trust me that much. Any other, uh, uh, any other ideas of, of uh, some really dangerous moments uh, in your campaign that you have to watch out for? Or you did bring up the one about your opponent has no idea how disease can be used as a weapon. I used that recently. First care. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, I don't know if I told that story and I don't know if we have the time for it. Well then thanks everybody for listening to us. We, we hope we've given you some forewarned because forewarned is forearmed. And we hope that you have enjoyed our discussion about classes and, and uh, archetypes and, how they differ and whether or not, you know, in in the next game you design or the next game you want to play in, you know, whether you want to take that into consideration as to is that the kind of game I want to play because of that. Uh, I myself, as I said, I'm a big fan of choosing a role than choosing an archetype, more so than classes, but I know classes are a big comfort to beginning level characters, you know, except that I think the... Uh, D&D is, their classes are far too complex for that to be simple. It's not like it was in the first edition where within 15 minutes you would have a fully prepared and equipped fighter ready to go. Because <laughs> believe me, we, we used to die a lot. We needed that to roll those up fast. I said the benefits of pre-generation. Well, that means somebody else did the hard work. Usually the GM. Yes, right. Well, it's still the same. <laughs> Doesn't it only makes it easier for you? Okay, it's one of the advantages. And and by the way, when you go to conventions, you know, play a game, go to the game room, play a game, uh, especially a role playing game, because uh, you may find that you uh, have discovered the very thing that's going to chart the rest of your life, like I did back in you know in the nineteen eighties when I discovered this little game called uh, well. First, I discovered Dungeons and Dragons, but then I discovered Fringeworthy, and Fringeworthy has been the game that I played ever since. So, uh, you know, those things can happen, you know, and uh, expose expose yourself <laughs> to more uh, not just uh, the things that you feel comfortable with, but the things that can actually change your life. And uh, so, thanks for being with us. We'll have more for you next week, but. Until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying 
There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.